0: Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Amen. God is so good. This morning, we have a special guest with us. His name is Alexis Cruz, right here from beautiful Madeira. He and I connected through a mutual professor through uh, Southeastern University. I'll let him kind of talk more about that, but uh, I wanted to bring someone in this morning who I feel God is developing and growing in ministry to speak to us. And so, would you welcome Alexis this morning as he comes? Well, good morning, you guys. Uh, My name is Alexis, as uh, Pastor Josh has said. Um, I'll introduce myself just a little bit um, to get into the word. I don't want to take up too much time from uh, God's word. But uh, just to show you how small of a world this is, um, yes, um, Pastor Josh said, um, I grew up in Madera my entire life. Born in Fresno, I then grew up in Madera, out in the country, my entire life. Um, Graduated from Madera High. From Madera High, I um, had the call um, that God placed on my heart that I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a minister. So... Um, I said, God, you know, open the door for me, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to go, um, go. And, you know, in high school, you're like, you know, my dreams and plans, your hopes, you build everything around what you want to do. And in the end, God has the final say. And but I told God, God, if if almost kind of like bargaining, you know, I was like, God, if, if you can send me, you know, where I want to go, you know, like, let me fulfill my dreams. And um, God, you know, fulfilled that. And he said, you know what, if you want to go, I'll send you. Um, and I was uh, grateful and, um, for the opportunity to go to college in Florida. Like uh, I said, grew up in my entire life in the middle, um, middle of the country in Madeira. you know, neighbors far away. Went to a city in um, Florida that's, like, the size of Fresno. So, like, I'm out of, you know, like a fish out of water, you know. I'm like, oh, I don't know this place. But God sent me there. Um, God allowed me to complete my college four years. Um, I got my bachelor's degree last May in um, multidisciplinary studies. Was all that means is that I uh, got a degree in ministry. Um, And, uh, but God, uh, every step of the way, you know, I grew up, um, I don't know if some of you guys know this life. I grew up the life um, of, uh, of, um, I was a kid of uh, farm workers. My parents were farm workers in the fields. Um, And when I left for college, uh, my tuition a year cost as much as my dad would make in one year of salary. And I said, God, there was days where, you know, my family didn't even have money for themselves to eat. How are they going to pay the bill for my school? But every moment, every step of the way, God was there and God provided. And God. And let me tell you this. It is true when they say college is the best, you know, years of your life. Because I have no regrets. Um, I have, you know, one of the greatest times of my life. But even more so, I did it with God. And I did it for God. You know, when uh, when I could have gone to any other school and, like, partied all I wanted, do whatever I wanted, you know. Um, there was times where I was trying to, you know, run away from God, but God I was like, no, 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 you're here with me. We're going to do this together. Yeah. And, and we did, and we did, and I'm back here now. I graduated last May. Um, I came back right before I graduated, Pastor, uh, Dr. McNaughton, who is the professor that um, Pastor Josh is talking about mutually, he told me, hey, um, I had him for a class, and he said, hey, I want to keep in touch with you when you leave. And I was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to. he's like, I'm going to go um, to California uh, next year, um, to an extension site you guys have there. Um, I would love to um, see you again and, and have coffee. And I was like, sure. And I thought he wouldn't call back, and I thought he he'd probably forget. And uh, he called, He texted me one day. It was like a week before my birthday, I believe. It was in February. And he texted me. He's like, said, hey, I think I'm in your neighborhood. Where, um, where do you live? Like, um, can you come see me? And I was like, okay, I wonder where he's at, because California is a big state. And he's like, I'm up in Modesto. Do you know where that's at? I was like, yeah, I know where that's at. It's like two hours away from here. I know where that's at. He's like, yeah, can you meet me up? like, sure, I'd love to. We got up there, he introduced me, introduced me to Pastor Josh, and he's like, hey, this guy is from Madeira. that's where you're from, right? I was like, yeah, that's, I know exactly where Madera's at. Um, I was like, yeah, I know exactly where Madera's from. And then he also knows another pastor, Pastor Dennis, or Pastor Sylvester, who I know as, he's the one who introduced me to the Salome as God, and he's the one who told me first about Pastor Josh, way before my professor told me about Pastor Josh. And he talked about him, he said, hey, I'd love to, you know, get in contact with you and Pastor Josh so you guys can, you know, talk. And then um, P- Professor McNaughton introduced me um, to him personally that day, and he told me, like, hey, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Madeira." He's like, oh, I'm from Madeira too. So that's how we met. Um, he told me, hey, I'd love to catch up with you and have coffee and then, um, invite you to, you know, come to our church and um, help out. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So all of that to say, small world, right? Um, going from Madeira to Florida, from Florida, meeting a professor who, um, you know, I had no idea who he was. Then from there, you know, him coming over here to California to meet me again once more, and then me connecting with Pastor Josh, and here I am today. Um, to get into God's word, what we're here for in the first place, um, Pastor Josh has been telling me, um, he told me, hey, we're on um, finishing up, or we're doing a series on Nehemiah, on, um, on you know, the, uh, the work that Nehemiah was doing when, they, when the Israelites came back from exile. And I was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to. And I was reading Nehemiah, and I, um, my um, verses are going to be in chapters 5 and 6, where we'll see the work done. But before that, we'll see the final challenges that Nehemiah has right before the work is done. And we see how it relates to us and how God um, moves in us, moved in Nehemiah and in, the, and in his time, and still moves in us so that we can finish our work that God has placed in our heart. Because how many of you know that once God puts in work or, or, or something in our heart, Nothing or no one can take that away from us. But we also have to be willing to do that work, to go forward and say, hey, the distractions and stuff will come. And they definitely will. But in God, we are more than conquerors. And we're able to move forward and finish the work that God has done. So I'll start off today um, with actually the final verse that I will talk to you guys about in Nehemiah. But I'll start it off here because um, we know the ending and we know how the story goes. But we, um, I want to show you guys, um, you know, how God works in, in, this, um, in our lives. So um, Nehemiah 6, um, I have the verses, trust me, um, you'll see them here. Uh, Nehemiah 6, if you open your Bible for me, um, Nehemiah 6, cha- uh, verse 15, um, short little verse, we'll say this and then I'll pray and we'll get right into it. Um, Nehemiah 6, 15 says this in the name of the um, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Wow. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for this day that you've given us, Lord. I thank you so much for this time that, um, you get to, uh, that we get to be here, Lord, to worship you, Lord, in the house of the Lord, God. Uh, we praise you that you are, God, that you are with us and that our work is done in you, God, that you are with us no matter where we go and what we do. And I pray for everyone here, Lord. May they hear Your word, God. May they, um, may You speak to them today, Lord. May You open our hearts, open our eyes, and open our ears, God, to do what You have called us to do. I ask that any word that comes from my mouth be from You, God, and anything that is not fall to the floor, God. I thank You, God, for everyone here once again, from the youngest to the oldest. Bless everyone here, God. Bless um, those people who um are um that who, who could not be here today, Lord. Bless them as well wherever they go. And I ask also for every other church, uh, missionary um bible study group uh, prayer group worship team that might be doing your work right now god wherever they are across the globe that you be with them god and you bless them and guide them in all they do as well i pray all this in jesus name amen, amen. all right so Nehemiah, um as you guys have heard over the past few weeks Nehemiah had many struggles but he also had many attacks come against them and the work that god had placed on him <laughs> just as it looks like the work is about to be done the attacks continue and seem to be stronger However, Nehemiah does not fear, nor does, he step, nor, nor, nor does he stop the work because of this. Instead, he continues the work because of this and turns to God for help and direction. In return, God helps Nehemiah discern and make the right choices when he has to make those choices. How many of you know in your personal life, I know it in my personal life as well, um, that uh, when, you, when you're, you know, when you're receiving the blessing of God or when you're receiving uh, the work of God or you're doing the work of God and you're about to finish a task, whatever God has put in your heart. Because we know that, you know, life, we go and, you know, and works that God does for us. And how many of you know when you, you feel it, you know it's on the horizon, you know that healing is coming, you know that that blessing is coming, you know that that uh, spiritual um, healing is coming, you know that the, you know, God's fire is going to descend upon you, um, that you're going to do great works for him. And right before that happens, you know, you get that unexpected letter, or you get that unexpected bill, or you get that unexpected um, um, family member or coworker worker that's saying negative things to you. Or you get something, right? Something comes up along the road and impedes you. And oftentimes, those some things are some of the hardest things you will go through, are some of the toughest things that you will see. But in all of that, we realize that God works for a purpose. And God sees a purpose in every single one of you. But we have to realize that those distractions are all they are is just that, distractions. They have no meaning. They have no no body to them. All they are are attacks from the enemy trying to um, distract you and pull you away from the word of God. But how many of you know that God, when God speaks, not a single syllable is in vain? And not a single word is empty. Because what God um, speaks, it becomes into existence. God spoke the stars in the skies, the animals, the trees, everything on this planet. He spoke into existence, right? Out of nothing. Um, The the word in, um, in, um, I believe it's uh, Hebrew, ex nihilo, or Latin, out of nothing. You know, the things that we try to explain as humans, like, oh, this came from, like, you know, a big giant explosion, or this came because of this. We all know it came out of nothing. Why? Because God just spoke it into existence, and it came to be. So not a single word, not a single word of God's promises that he speaks to his people during their time, Old Testament, New Testament, and during our time, you know, 2018, 2019, none of it is in vain. Because God's word is full of power. And God's work is something in us that no man can take. That no government, that no king, that no family member, that no friend or coworker can distract us from. Why? Because the enemy has no power over us anymore, right? God had the final say at Eden as much as he has the final say at Calvary. Because if it had not been for that... In Eden, God would have left us and said, all right, you guys messed up. I'm going to move on, you know. No, but he says to the serpent, you know, I'm going to send someone who you're going to strike their heel, but he's going to crush your head. And then he sends Jesus, you know, from the beginning of time, it's already there. The plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, it's already there. And it comes to be. On that day that Jesus is crucified, and he gives up his spirit, and he says, it is finished. Not, it's going to be finished. Not, I'm going to finish this. No, once and for all, it is finished. Satan, you have no power over my people. You have no power over their works. You have no power over any one of my children. Why? Because I have redeemed them. I paid the price, and this is it. It is finished. But how many of you know that the story didn't finish there? Before that, Jesus calls his disciples together and says, hey, come here. I'm going to give you one last commandment, the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Imagine if they had given up their work. I don't think, you know, uh, the church would be here in the United States at all if it had been for them. Um, it's funny, when you grew up, uh, or at least I did when I grew up in um, in school and in, as a little kid in Sunday school, you know, I always wondered, you know, well, um, well obviously in America, uh, when you read history, they start off, like, you know, at the American Revolution, right? At the founding of the nation, the United States. You don't really hear about, like, you know, other world's, um, you know, history until later on, uh, like, how that affected you. but. My little, you know, my little brain says, oh, my gosh, the world started in America. <laughs> you know, oh, history started in America. And then you realize later on, you know, as you grow up and study world history, no, like, you know, there was thousands of, you know, people and civilizations that came way before us, before we even came to be, you know. And uh, I always thought, too, um, oh, the Bible's got to be the same way. Christianity started in America. And they're like, no, Christianity started way, 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 way back in the Middle East. You know, in Israel, when Jesus came about, all that to say, That um, imagine if the disciples had given up and said, hey, you know what? Our work here is too much. You know, there's a a guy uh, that's an emperor of this giant, you know, empire called Rome. That we have no chance whatsoever against defeating or doing anything against. And yet, Jesus tells them, wait in the city until you receive power from on high. And then you will be my witnesses through all the world. Imagine if they had said, you know what? No, I don't know. Why don't we just leave instead? Why don't we just do this our own work? You know? Why don't, you know, this guy that we follow around, now he's dead and now he's gone. What are we supposed to do? You know? But all this to say that this is nothing new. Nehemiah saw this, you know, in his time. The story here in um, in Nehemiah is... The Israelites have come back from exile. We know the story. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, tells Abraham, hey, your descendants are going to be great and numerous. And they're going to be as much as the sand on the beach, as the stars in the sky. Time passes. We get to Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is sold to um, slavery in Egypt. And then, you know, we know the story. He's, uh, he's accused of things that he doesn't do. He's in jail. Um, The Lord raises him up, finds favor. Um, His family comes down. He redeems his family. And, you know, it's all happy. And then the Bible says, time passes by. And then the Israelites become numerous. They start growing in number. And in Egypt, you know, the Pharaoh says, Hey, a new Pharaoh comes down um, and says, Hey, you know, these people are going to outgrow us, overpopulate us. They're going to take over our country. We got to do something about them. So they put them into slavery. And then for hundreds of years, they're in slavery. Until a guy named Moses, God calls and says, hey, I want you to lead my people out of slavery into the promised land. The land that I swore to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses says, God, who am I that you want me to, you know, that you send me? And we see time after time after time, God proves just how powerful he is, just how strong he is. He leads them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, through across the sea. Through the, um, through the wilderness and into the promised land with Joshua. And the story continues. You know, then we see the, 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 the judges, you know, uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, um, all of them, the kings, David, Solomon, um, Saul. We see them all. You know, we see the history of them. And then we get to the point of Nehemiah's time where right before Nehemiah's time, Israel had gone so bad that God had to put divine justice on them. God had to intervene and say, all right, this is it. I've given you chance after chance after chance after chance, and I've redeemed you time and, time and time and time again, and I'm going to redeem you again, but this time it's going to be a harsh reality. This time it's going to be a harsh punishment, and so the final kings of Israel, you know, are living in, you know, horrible ways. The, the entire nation of Israel is uh, doing bad things. They're, uh, they're ignoring the cry of the people around them. They're, being, um, they're, they're ignoring the injustices around them. They're ignoring, you know, God's laws. They're worshiping other gods. They're doing all kinds of bad things that God, you know, had told them not to do. All this comes to say, and eventually God brings down, you know, the Syrians first to conquer um, the northern kingdom, which was is Israel. Uh, Judah holds out for a little longer. The southern kingdom holds out for a little longer, a couple hundred years or less than that. Um, and then the Babylonians come and take over, and that's it. That's the end of the kingdom of Israel, and so they're sent away, where we see Daniel, Daniel and his friends are sent away to Babylon, you know, to a a country that's not their own, and they spent almost their entire lives there, until finally, you know, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians, and this, and you know, you can read about this in actual history, you know, Um, this actually happens, then finally, you know, King Darius sends them home, and says, all right, you know, um, the Jews that were under, you know, the Babylonians, you guys are free to go home now, You guys can return to your promised land. You guys can return to your home. Here, I'm going to give you guys stuff to take back with you, you know. I'm going to give you permission to go back and rebuild your city, rebuild your country, rebuild your society. And through all of that, we see God working, right? Because God, had God not wanted to do that, he would have left them and said, hey, you know what? You're going to be under yoke forever, (laughs) you know. And Nehemiah is in the group that people that come back with them. You know, Nehemiah is the governor, the, the person in charge of the people. And he has a job, a very important job. God tell, tells him, hey, you're going to rebuild the wall and you're going to rebuild the, the city. And you're going to rebuild society. You're going to rebuild what, what has been um, broken and lost and, um, you know, damaged. And we see, though, that when they go back, just like every other time, just like everyone else's life here, we see that the moment they get back, the enemy starts attacking, right? The enemy starts picking. The enemy starts, you know, hey, listen to this. Hey, look at this. Hey, Look at that country over there, you know? And we see that um, time after time after time. And we get to the final the final um, temptations and distractions that the enemy tries to um, distract Nehemiah with. And Nehemiah, you know, has already gone through all the distractions, has already gone through all the hard work. Um, they're almost done. So now it's just more like, okay, you know. We literally just have to put in the gates, maybe a couple more bricks, and this is it. Like we're done. We're finally gonna finish. You know, our city's gonna be complete. Our society's gonna, you know, rebuild. And the enemy here comes. Here comes again. We see three um, very important, um, or sorry, two distractions from internal ways. The first one we'll talk about here. We'll see in verses one through four um, that it's the people, the nobles, the higher ups, oppressing their own people, the Israelites. And we see it here in verses 5, 1 through 4. I mean, sorry, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And it says this. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry, outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So there's a problem. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. And then in verse 4, still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Verse 5, although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and, through our cho- and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Here's the first problem, the first distraction that Nehemiah comes against, or the first of the last distractions that Nehemiah comes against. And their society, they had nobles. They had people who were higher up. And then they had, like, the middle class, and then they had the lower class. Well, they come back, and the higher class, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we're the higher class. So let's charge people more for taxes. Let's charge people more for their things. There's people who don't have any. All right, here's, um, we'll, we'll loan you, you know, money. But you're going to have to pay us entrance. Even though in the law of Moses, for Israelites to bu- let, borrow another Israelite, for them it was forbidden, them t- forbidden for them to charge interest on their loans. They can charge interest on other loans to other foreigners or anybody else. But to their fellow, you know, their fellow uh, man, their fellow, uh, their fellow uh, Israelite, their fellow uh, compadre, they couldn't. <laughs> they couldn't. They had to, they had to um, give the money and not expect anything in return, actually. Why? Because they knew that God was going to bless them. And that God would bless every single one of them. And one of the biggest points that drove, um, you know, the wedge between them and God was social injustice. God had put in their law from way before. None of this was new. None of this was new. Back when Moses gave the law, you know, there was many laws that God said specifically, do this. But when it comes to your fellow, you know, your fellow Israelite, your fellow, um, you know, neighbor, do not do this to them. Why? Because I'm going to bless you guys. I'm already blessing you guys. You guys don't have to do this to get more money or to um, trample over people or to uh, walk over people. No. You guys have to treat everyone with the same respect and love and generosity that I have shown you. Because, remember, you were slaves. You know what it's like to not have anything. You know what it's like to be in chains. You know what it's like, you know, to beg, to give out, to sell yourselves to slavery. Just so that you can eat. Don't you dare do this to other people in your, in your nation, in your country. But the people weren't listening. They came back and they're like, all right, you know, let's just back to our own lives. And then Maya saw us and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this, is, this has happened before. And that's the reason we went to another country that wasn't even ours for over 70 years. <laughs> that's the reason God took us from this place in the first place. Don't do this. And he gets angry. Verse 5, or verse 6, sorry. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. So what does Nehemiah do? He sees that um, the nobles and harabs the in their society are exploiting and impressing their fellow Israelites. They are stealing, extorting, and taking advantage of their situations. Nehemiah gets angry at them, verse 6 and 7. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interests. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. He knows that this is hindering the work be- being done. People are having to worry more about their bills and what they're going to eat and what they're going to, um, you know, if they're going to have to sell their, their, their kids. <laughs> if they're going to have to sell their own kids just to eat. And obviously all of this would come into them and be like, oh, you know, like you want us to, you know, build up a city. You know, that costs money. That costs jobs. That costs work. And yet we can't even feed our own kids. You know, we're having to sell our own kids. And Amiyah sees this and says, all right, all right, all right, hey, this is just an an distraction from the enemy. We have to get rid of this once and for all. We have to do something about this. Because if we don't, we're going to end up in the same exact situation that we were, like, you know, hundreds of years ago. So being the good leader that um, that Amiyah is, he turns to God, but he also calls out his people. He rebukes them. It says, um... People were having to worry about their own families and economic means that the wall and work became second thought. More importantly, the rebuilding of their society was being affected. Social injustice, like I said, was one of the biggest contributing factors to their exile from their homeland. God had placed laws regarding their fair and equal treatment of people. By the time the Babylonians came and conquered, Israelite society was so corrupt and so out of line with God's law that divine intervention was needed. And Nehemiah was tasked, obviously, with rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the city. But if these distractions keep getting in the way, obviously that took time away from him, right? It took away time from his job, from his task. And so he rebukes the people and he calls together a meeting. Verse 9. It says, Nehemiah as a leader calls the people a meeting and says, So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Verse 12, we will give it back. This is the people responding to Nehemiah after he rebukes them and calls them together in a giant meeting. They say this, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Verse 13, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out their house and possessions. Anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person person be shaken out and emptied. Nehemiah knows what is right, and he knows, hey, I have to, I have to uh, take this distraction and take this challenge and, uh, and uh, get rid of it before it infests, you know, our society again, and we get back to square one. So he does what a good leader does, calls his people together, says, hey, this is a the problem. They listen, and they're like, oh, no. Like, yep, sorry, <laughs> you know, we're wrong. And, and they, they come together and they all say, all right, you know what, what you have said is right, let's change this. They provide the change, and Nehemiah makes, makes them. In their time, an oath meant a lot. It meant a lot. They had to be witnesses, and there had to be people there to record it. It meant a lot for them to take that oath and say, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. Because they were under promise of not just their law, but under God's eyes. And so Nehemiah does this, and he, and, he, and he finally takes care of this problem. And he says, hey, you know, don't do this anymore. Whatever you do that you did take from them, give it back. Whatever happens... Don't charge people interest. Whatever you do, don't take advantage of people. And they fixed this problem. First instruction. But imagine if Nehemiah had let it go on. Imagine if Nehemiah had let the extortion and exploitation gone on. You know? The story probably would have been a lot different. Even in situations where we have power, we are never to step over anyone to receive God's blessing or do the work he has placed in our heart. Rather, God wants our hearts to look out for our fellow man and be loving and fair. How many of you know that what God says is completely opposite of what the world says, right? Because the church says, give unto the needy, give unto the poor. Your true religion is this, give to the widows, the orphan, the needy. This is how you will treat people. The world says, hey, You want money? Do whatever you have to do to get it. Have you guys heard of uh, uh, the business world? Or have you guys heard of a a little company a long time ago uh, by the name of Enron? If any of you guys remember that company? Have you guys heard of a a guy named uh, Bernie Madoff? These are just examples of some of the uh, uh, few people or corporations that in the business world, how many of you know, if any of you work in the business world, I work in a a, a secular, you know, marketplace, uh, in the business world, as you would call it. A little different, but it's still the same thing. At the end of the day, it's all about the money, right? And businesses will do anything, anything. CEOs, VPs, employees will do anything to get up that ladder, right? To get that money. To take that business out of business. You know? To drive out the competition. It's very cutthroat, right? But God... Says the exact opposite. Jesus says the exact opposite. Jesus calls us to be servants, not CEOs. Jesus calls us to be generous, not stingy. Jesus calls us to care unto the least of these. Like it is Jesus. Because what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Not me, but Jesus. Right? And society tells us the exact opposite. But who are we going to listen to? God, the God who knows everything and has everything and who's everything that is on this planet, the gold, the silver, all the minerals, all the gems. Who made them? God. At the end of the day, it's funny, at the end of the day, countries have tons of money, right? Like tons of uh, bills and stuff. At the end of the day, it's all paper. And we see, you know, every day, you guys heard of a little thing called the stock market? That thing goes up and down every single day. And it's funny how I always thought about it when I was a kid. I was like, why would people invest money in a thing that literally is there one day and the next day it can be gone? But just because the, the, the you know, like the, the experts say that this is more valuable today than it is tomorrow. You know? And I'm like, how does that make sense? But people still invest millions into it every day, right? But God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be given unto you. He doesn't say seek first money and fame or seek first your position and your name or seek first, you know, hey, the company or, you know, whatever you want and then you can focus on God. No, 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 no. He says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What God wants for us and then worry about everything else. Don't worry about everything else because I already have everything else for you. And Nehemiah sees this and he tells his people this, the same thing too. He says, hey, you have to be fair. What we did before was wrong. And that's the reason our kingdom ended up being divided and conquered. That's the reason we ended up in exile for over, you know, 70 years. And that's how we learned our lesson. We don't want the same lessons to repeat again. So the first point that I was going to make today um, is that do not take advantage of others to seek God's kingdom. Never take advantage of others in situations where you know that they're going through something. Why? Because God sees it. God knows it. And many times, I can rest assure you, in your lives, I can say it in my own lives, we've been in those situations ourselves. And, and, and we also know how hurtful it can be, you know, when people ignore your situation, and people don't help. But we also see the blessings upon blessings that God has given us, you know, when someone is there, to say, here, neighbor, here I am for you. You know? So wherever you go or whatever you do in life, remember this point. Don't ever take advantage of others and anything. Here I was talking about financially, but we can go more than that. Don't ever take advantage of others um, spiritually, emotionally. When someone is on the ground, you don't just kick them and continue, you know, continue to hurt their feelings. No, you pick them up. We're called to raise one another. Right? Right? To build one another up. Not to tear down. That's what the world does. That's what the business world does. That's what, you know, people, that's what Satan does. You know? (laughs) Satan doesn't come to you and say, hey, you're hungry? All right, here you go. No, you know? He'll tempt you to do everything other than cry out to God. And this is what he was doing to Nehemiah. We get to our second point. And these are stronger distractions that come against Nehemiah. When distractions come... All too often, we are the fir- our first reaction is to run and hide or give up and complain. However, we can learn from Nehemiah that the enemy will use any excuse to try and distract us. But with prayer and discernment, we can ignore the enemy and distractions. The last three distractions that uh, Nehemiah faces here are pretty serious. The first one, we'll see it right now in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of verses. The first one is they try to assassinate him or hurt him, like physically hurt him. The second one, they try to... They try, to, um, they try to accuse um, Nehemiah of treason, of going against what the, the, what the king has said for him to do. And the last one is that they try to discredit him. All these three charges are very serious. And some of these, you know, warrant death. If they, if they, if they, became, if they came to be true, you know, the king could come down and say, all right, you know, hey, your time is up. <laughs> you know, literally, your time is up. But we see here that Nehemiah doesn't give up hope and doesn't give in to the distractions because he knows at the end of the day, they're all just distractions. And all too often, I believe that, don't get me wrong, there's days where this world will give you everything it's got and it will knock you down and it will knock the wind out of you and you feel like you're knocked out. Um, I grew up um, watching um, two sports, soccer and boxing. And I love both of them. Love both of them. Uh, and boxing, um, say what you want about it. Um, boxing, I know it's, it's, it's a tough sport. But to me, you know, people, you know, make fun of it and, and say, you know, oh, it's a dirty sport. Don't get me wrong. I think nowadays boxing is all about the money. But at the same time, it's a sport where people have to be trained and disciplined, right? You don't just walk in and say, I'm going to face the biggest heavyweight or the biggest, you know, person in their category. And I'm going to score up to them, you know, in my, in my shape right now and, and be able to win them. no. These boxers, why do you think boxers only fight one or two fights a year? Because they have to go through so much training to build up that strength, that endurance, to go into the ring and go stand toe-to-toe against their opponent and be able. Not only, uh, how many of you know, boxing isn't a sport where you're you're just, all you're doing is giving punches. No, (laughs) it works both ways. Just as hard as you can hit them, they can hit you even harder, right? And growing up and watching boxing, you see, you know, I, I, I look at these uh, boxers, and, I, and these guys, like I said, some of these guys, you know, their entire lives have trained. And you see them, they walk in, you know, with the muscles. You know, you've seen them, right? You've seen them, the heavyweights, even the lightweights. Like, any, any boxer, look at them. They're not, you know, like, out of shape, right? They're, 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 they have, you know, enough force, you know, to, to literally break a brick wall if they wanted to, you know? They're trained for that. That's what they do. And so I look at these guys. And these guys, like I said, are trained, you know, their entire lives, and they're big, and they're muscular, and they hit with, you know, force that's, you know, a tonne. And to see them go up in a ring against each other, you know, when you see a really good fight. You know, when you see those ones those where they're up and toe-to-toe against each other, just swinging, swinging. And every, you look like every shot's just connecting. And they're both not going down. You're like, oh, my gosh. You know, you can hear the gloves hitting. You can hear, you know, you can see the people's reactions. Like, yeah, you know, let them have it, you know. You can see it. You can see it in their faces, you know. They're, they're, they're bloody. They're bruised. All these things. You see that. And then when they finally, when one of them finally goes down, you know, and they're literally knocked out, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know. How hard must that hit been that they were literally, knocked, you know, knocked out? This is the same way with distractions. Distractions, the enemy will come at you, and he'll work you out. And at first, he'll hit you, you know, the very beginning rounds. They're just checking each other out. They're just sizing each other up. All right, how far does this guy reach? How hard is he hit? They're going. All right, round ends. Let's go back, you know? The later rounds come up. All right, now, you're, now the enemy is going toe-to-toe with you. And he's like, all right, here's your family. Ugh. Here's your job. Ugh. Here's your money, your finances. Ugh. You know? And at first, those shots in the beginning don't seem like nothing, right? You see those guys get hit, like, in the chest or in the arm, and they just shake it off, right? The later rounds come, and those shots start getting harder and heavier, and they start swinging with more force. Then you see the shots to the liver. The left hooks, the jabs to the chest, the upper body, the head. You know, and once in a while you'll see those big hits, and and and, that's, and you see those ones where they're, they're days, right? Where they're like, oh, you know, that got, that got them. You know, you see it in their eyes, you see it in their, in their feet. They're like, oh no, you know, that shook me. The enemy's the same way too. He builds up, he builds up his attacks, he builds them up. Um. A famous boxer um, once said, um, people always look for a knockout, like, to the head, you know? But rarely does that happen. He said, the best way to take out your opponent is to hit their body. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, isn't that, like, the, the media space, you know, that's, like, you don't really want to hit them? He's like, no. When you hit their body, you start going for those body shots where the organs are at, the liver, you know? Because once you start hitting, hitting their body... And wearing them out, their legs are going to give out under them. And the head will fall by itself. You don't have to go for, you know, the knockout punches because you're going to leave yourself exposed. No. Work the body. Tire them out. You get to the point where you, get, you land a nice clean shot, their legs are going to give out under them in an instant, in a second. And they're just going to collapse. The enemy is like that. The enemy will give you hits hard, you know, in, in the head. Don't get me wrong. I know many of you have experienced those, you know, you wake up one morning, everything's fine. The next morning, bam, you're out on the canvas, you know, begging for life, you know, screaming in the agony of the pain, you know, that you just just got hit. But oftentimes, the enemy builds up those shots, and they come, and they hurt, and they sting. But you have to be willing to say, hey, those shots, as much as they sting and as much as they're going to hurt, They're only going to last temporarily. And they're only going to last temporarily because I know that in this fight, in this ring that I'm in in life, those shots are always going to come. So I have to be ready no matter what. Because I know that the enemy might try to give me, you know, a death blow. But in the end of the day, God has already defeated him. That victory is already won. That bell has already been rung. And don't get me wrong, I pray for every single one of you that when those shots come, I know, I felt it personally when you are down on the ground, when you are down on the mat, and you're like, God, oh, wow, that one really stung. That one did hurt. And when you're out for the count, one, two, three, four, you know? But every time you get back up, why? Because you're a new creation in God. Why? Because God gives you the strength to keep going. God makes you more than conquerors. I'm not saying all of this to say, oh, I want you guys to go out and learn how to box. <laughs> so you guys can uh, do this challenge, you know, in real life. No, no, no. I'm telling you to give you guys an example, the metaphor of what it looks like to actually fight. To stand toe-to-toe with your enemy, with the enemy, with Satan, in the ring. To take those hits and still keep going. To take those hits and say, all right, they're just distractions. They're going to get in the way, and they're going to hurt, and they're going to sting. But I'm going to get back up every time. Because imagine if Jesus had given up. (laughs) Imagine if Jesus had given up on the cross. Before the cross. Imagine if he said, you know what? In Gethsemane, I don't want to. You know what, God? Your will be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I definitely don't want to be crucified (laughs) today. So I'm going to, you know, skedaddle out of here with my disciples and (laughs) do something else. You know? But what does Jesus say? God, not my will. But your will be done. And I'm sorry, I went off a little tangent there. Um, when the distractions come, all too often we're the, our first reaction is to run and hide and give up and complain. However, we learn from Nehemiah that the enemy will use any excuse to try and distract us. He will try to use everything in the book to try and stop you. The enemy's sole job is to cause you to grow weary and give up. That's his job. <laughs> you guys ever feel like, oh, you know, this guy never gets tired. <laughs> well, Duh. Because that's his job. That's the enemy's job is to keep pestering you, to keep hitting you, to keep nagging at you. That's all he's done. That's all he's going to do. Nothing's going to change. But that's where you can get that strength, to fly like, wings on, like fly, uh, on wings like eagles. To run and not grow weary. To walk and not faint. And we see Nehemiah use prayer, and we see him use a sermon, To ignore these distractions and say, hey, you know, some of these are kind of like, okay, some of these I I do give it to him. Some of these are a little serious. Let's read them. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4, the first one. This is where they try to assassinate him um, or kidnap him, the way you want to uh, um, look at it. Uh, They want to harm him physically. This is what they want to do. Verse uh, 1, chapter 6. When word came to um, Sambalat, Tobiah, uh, Jessam, the Arab... And the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that a gap was left in it, though up at the time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Jessam sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. See, Nehemiah already knows this. They send a message saying, hey, come and meet us, you know. But they're not talking about like a meeting like, oh, let's have a meeting like, you know, talk about like, no, no, no. They're meaning to harm him. He knows this. He says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply I am carrying on the great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I, ha- while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. <laughs> Important point here Nehemiah, four times they come to him saying, Hey, go to a meeting with us. And every single one of the times he tells them the same exact message I'm not going to. Why should the work stop? All this is just going to distract me. I believe at times, all you have to do when the enemy comes at you is say, why are you distracting me again? I've already told you, I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Go back to where you came from. Why are you coming against me? I've already told you, Jesus has defeated you on the cross.